in the air to left well hit. Back is Craig. What a team. What a ride. The Cardinals are world champs in 2011. The one two again. Oh, yes, it's another What If here on MLB Morning Coffee. Appreciate you tuning in. My name is Greg Moraz, your host, as per usual. If you have not had a chance to listen to our previous What If, which was What If the 2005 Chicago White Sox played the 2016 Chicago Cubs in the World Series, go back, listen, and do so. If you have not written a review or left a rating, go back and do that as well. And if you have not yet subscribed, I promise you, you will enjoy subscribing. Go back and subscribe to this. So, our first what if, as we said, was the 2005 White Sox against the 2016 Cubs. The next one that I wanted to do, I wanted to keep it to another geographical rivalry. So we're going to go with the 2011 St. Louis Cardinals against the 2015 Kansas City Royals. Now, I picked these two teams because... Both of them were very solid the entire year. The 2011 Cardinals did not win their division. They actually finished second in the NL Central behind the Brewers, but went 90-72. and They got the wild card. This was still in a period of time when the wild card was just one team. I chose them because they were a better team instead of the 2006 Cardinals that won only 83 games in what was one of the weakest NL Centrals in the last 20 years. The 2015 Kansas City Royals also won the World Series, but the Royals had just as good of a team, if not better, in 2014. But in 14, they were a wild card team. In 15, they won the division. In 14, they lost the World Series to the Giants. In 15, they won the World Series, defeating the New York Mets. Both teams had very solid rosters top to bottom. Both of them were deep in the bullpen and both of them had managers that were able to will them to victory. So, without further ado, let's start with the catcher matchup, which has Yadier Molina against Salvador Perez. Up the middle of base hit. Here comes Berkman. Hamilton's throw is cut off. Partially another run. And it's 6-2 in the seventh. Molina's second hit and second RBI of the game. Here's a 1-0. That's a little fly ball down the right field line. It is fair. Perez will hold it first with a leadoff single. Catcher is a tough one to start with because both catchers are elite defensively. Salvador Perez won the gold glove in 2015. He has won five gold gloves in his career. Yadier Molina won the gold glove in 2011. He has nine gold gloves in his career. When you look at the stats, though, from that year, and that's what we're judging this based on, Molina's numbers are as follows. He had 305 in 139 games, 14 homers, and 65 runs batted in. He had a much better year in 2012, where he finished fourth in the MVP voting, hit 22 homers, drove in 76 runs, and hit 315. But Molina is an Ironman. He has played over 135 games in nine different seasons, and he did it five years in a row from 2009 to 2013. 
Yadier Molina is somebody that, in my opinion, is known as the elite catcher of this generation. Maybe only ahead of Buster Posey in that category. It's those two guys and then everybody else. Salvador Perez had a very good 2015 season. In 142 games, he hit 260, 21 homers, 70 driven in. He made the all-star team and won the gold glove. He made six straight all-star teams from 2013 to 2018. On most lists, it would be difficult to say that anybody would beat Salvador Perez for what he did defensively. But because it's against Yadier Molina, and because Yadier Molina is known as a generational cardinal, I have got to go with Yadi in the catcher's battle. It 11-6 here in the 6th. Into right. Granderson back. Escobar tags. Here comes Escobar. The Royals win game one. Hosmer drives home. The winner in the 14th. First base was also a difficult position because both players had great years, but one of them was much better than the other. Let's start with Royals first baseman Eric Hosmer. Hosmer has only made one all-star team, but in 2015, he won his third straight gold glove. In 158 games, think about that, 158 games, he hit 297 with 18 homers and 93 RBI. It was the first of three straight years with at least 90 runs batted in, as the next year he made his only all-star team, hitting 266 but hitting 25 homers and driving in 104 runs, the only year that he ever drove in over 100 RBI. But you look at the batting average from that year in 2015, 297. His on-base was 363. Now, most times, this would probably get you the victory in one of these head-to-head battles. But who was his opponent? 2011, the Cardinals' first baseman was still Albert Pujols. In 2011, Pujols hit 299. Hit 37 homers, drove in 99 runs, had a 366 on base percentage, and finished fifth in the MVP voting despite not making the All Star team. It broke a streak for Pujols of eight consecutive years on the All Star team, which is amazing to think about because he doesn't make the All Star team and still finishes fifth in the MVP voting. Now, Pujols left for the Angels after that 2011 season, so needless to say, he went out with a bang. Pujols hit over 30 homers every season he played with the St. Louis Cardinals, and he hit over 40 homers six different years. He had a couple of decent seasons with the Angels, but for a year that was not nearly as productive as his previous years, it was the only year in his tenure with the Cardinals that he did not have over 100 RBI. I still got to go with Albert Pujols, even though Eric Hosmer had a pretty good season himself. The 10th pitch of the at-bat and a line drive down the right field line, and it is a fair ball into the corner. For Paul will score, and Schumacher will go into second with a double. So a pair of extra base hits, and the Cardinals have taken a 1-0 lead. Second base is a position that saw multiple guys play that position. For the Cardinals, you had Skip Schumacher and Nick Punto. 
For the Royals, you had Omar Infante and the midseason acquisition. We talked about him on the Cubs episode, the Swiss Army Knife, Ben Zobrist. So it's difficult in this situation to parse out who's better because multiple guys play the position for a decent amount of time. But let's go with number of games. Omar Infante for the Royals, 220 average, two homers, 44 RBI in 124 games at age 33. Skip Schumacher for the Cardinals, 117 games, hit 283 with two homers and 38 runs batted in. So Schumacher has the better offensive numbers. Let's look at Nick Punto. Over 63 games, 166 at-bats, 278, one homer, and 20 driven in. Ben Zobris played a lot of different positions, but over 59 games, he had 284, seven homers, 23 driven in. It's somewhat of a toss-up because of the fact that nobody really stands out, but I got to go with the offensive numbers here, which is why, even though they're not spectacular, I'm going to take the Cardinals combination of Skip Schumacher and Nick Punto. Here's a 2-2 to Tellio. Ground ball, base hit left field. Late break by Jay. He'll hold it third in to score Molina, and it's 5-0 Cardinals here in the fourth. It is Escobar, and he swings and hits it into left center. Back at the track, it is dropped. Cespedes couldn't make the catch. How about that effort? Digging around third. Here comes Escobar. one nothing Kansas City. So you all might be thinking that I'm Cardinals biased here. Far from it. I actually worked for a Kansas City Royals affiliate, so I should be more Royals biased. But... In this situation, the shortstop, I am taking the shortstop for the Royals, Alcides Escobar, over the shortstop for the Cardinals, Ryan Terrio. Now, Ryan Terrio had some really good years with the Cubs, and in 2011, he had a solid season. 271, one homer, 47 RBI, 321 on base. But Alcides Escobar in 2015 was an all-star, a gold glove winner, he hit only 257 and had an on-base of 293, which, by the way, for those of you that don't really study the on-base metric, to have a 293 on-base with a 257 average is awful. But I'm going to take the defense here. I'm going to take the amount of games played. He played 148 games, sandwiched in between three years in 14, 16, and 17, where he played all 162. Alcides Escobar had some really solid years offensively with the Royals. A better year in 2014 when he did not make the All-Star team. He had 285 that season with a 317 on base percentage. Terrio's year was good, not great, but Alcides Escobar was a vacuum cleaner at shortstop. And I do take defense into account here, which is why I am going with Alcides Escobar as the better shortstop of the two. Backs to the right side, and the Royals take the lead. In to score is Kane, and going first to third is Hosmer. Moustakis has put Kansas City on top 4-3. Braves hits it in the air to center. We will see you tomorrow night. Third base is another battle of two guys that had really good years. For the Cardinals, it was David Freeze for 97 games 
And then they also had a couple of guys that would fill in, but Daniel Descalso ended up playing a good amount of time that season at third base as well. For the Royals, it was the Moose, Mike Moustakis. Let's start with the Cardinals. Freeze hit 297 with a 350 on base. 10 homers, 55 runs driven in. Descalso played in 148 games. Granted, he played all over the diamond. 264 average, one homer, 28 runs driven in. Now we go to Moustakis. Moose hit 284 with a 348 on base percentage. 22 homers, 82 RBI, 147 games played. The power numbers, relatively speaking, favor Moustakis, but the reason I am going with the Moose here is that he just simply played more games at third base. It was funny when he got traded to the Brewers and they asked him to play a lot of second base. He also was able to play some first base as well. So for a guy that people think is kind of an oaf, he was pretty nimble in terms of being able to adjust to whatever position they asked him to play. But for the Royals in 2015, he was the third baseman of that team and the fact that David Freeze only played 97 games, that's what prevents me from putting him over Moustakis in this situation. Most Cardinal fans would say that I'm crazy, but here, just because of the fact that Moustakis played 148 games, hit 22 homers, drove in 82 runs, compared to a guy that, albeit he hit 297, only had 10 homers and drove in 55, I'm going Moustakis at third base for the Royals. Two on, two out, two and two to Kendry's Morales. A two-run lead for Kansas City. Morales sends a ball well hit into left center field. And that one is gone! There is no Cardinals position player for DH here, but I do have to talk a little bit about Kendris Morales for the Kansas City Royals. Morales had a really good season. In 158 games, he hit 290 with a 362 on base. 22 homers, 106 runs driven in. Morales is somebody that bounced around to a lot of different teams because he wasn't really able to play first base all that well. But in a year where not much was expected of him, he came off a season between the Twins and the Mariners in 2014 where he combined to play just 98 games. Morales had his second 100-plus RBI season and his first 20-plus homer season since 2013. Morales had a really good year. He won his only silver slugger in 2015, and although he didn't stay with the Royals past 2016, he made a significant impact on 2015. So here's to you, Kendris Morales. We'll raise a glass in your honor if you want to do that sort of thing. Two powerful bats are both left fielders in this scenario. For the Royals, it's Alex Gordon. For the Cardinals, it's Matt Holliday. Let's start with Holliday. In 124 games, he hit 296, 22 homers, 75 driven in. Obviously, somebody like Holliday, who was 31 at the time, did not play every day. Alex Gordon was only 31 at the time as well, but it seemed like he was still relatively young. I don't know why, but that's the way that it seemed. 
Gordon's 15th season was the third of three straight All-Star appearances, the only All-Star appearances he's had in his 13-year career. He hit 271, 13 homers, 48 driven in, but he had a 377 on-base percentage. While Gordon was an All-Star and his numbers were good, they're not eye-popping, and that's why I have to go with Matt Holliday, even though Holliday played fewer games than Alex Gordon. I'm not saying that Gordon didn't have an impact. He was really the first of that group of young Royals that revitalized that rebuild in the late 2000s and early 2010s, but he still didn't have the same impact that Matt Holliday did on that team that season. You look at the Cardinals in terms of their power bats, you think Pujols first, and then you're thinking Matt Holliday, at least on the 2011 iteration of the Cardinals. With the Royals, you think of Moustakis, Hosmer, Gordon somewhat, and Salvador Perez. So for that reason, I'm going Matt Holliday. Kataris, center field, pretty well hit. John Jay going back at the wall, and John Jay makes the catch. What a great catch that was. Here's the 0-1. That's a shot into the gap in left center. Everybody takes off. 1-1 scores. Here comes Escobar, and now Zagres. Kane is emptied up. And the Royals have blown it open in the 12th. 7-2. Center field is another position that, for one team, had multiple guys playing it, and that is the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's go with the primary center fielder, John Jay. Jay played a couple other positions in the outfield. Well, obviously, there's only two other positions in the outfield that you can play, left field and right field. But Jay hit 297, 10 homers, 37 driven in, 503 played appearances, 455 at-bats in 159 games of work. You also had Colby Rasmus, who hit 246 with 11 homers and 40 driven in. For the Royals, you had Lorenzo Cain. That season, he played in 140 games, hit 307 with a 361 on base percentage, 16 homers, and 72 driven in. He also stole 28 bases that season. Low Kane made the All-Star team in 2015 and finished third in the MVP voting. That's how good he was that season. He finished third in the MVP voting, hitting 307. So, to put that in perspective, He had 551 at-bats. He scored 101 runs. It was by far the best season of his career. And while John Jay had a decent season, you can't argue against a guy that finished third in the MVP voting. Lorenzo Cain is known as one of those impact guys from that Royals club. And I think that when you talk to a Royals fan and say, who was the linchpin of that lineup? You've got to go with Low Kane because he was the leadoff man that made the biggest impact. John Jay was a good center fielder, but he's not nearly as good defensively as Lorenzo Kane. Did not have the same season as Lorenzo Kane, and so for that reason, our choice here is Lorenzo Kane. In the air, opposite field, at the track, it's at the wall, and that ball is gone. Lance Berkman. His first as a Cardinal, an opposite field home run. Rios wraps that one inside the line and down into the left field corner. Perez scores. Here's Gordon right behind him, and Kansas City has taken their first lead of the night. Right field was a very easy decision here. 
even though Lance Berkman, the Cardinals right fielder, played a decent amount of first base at times, he was still unreal in 2011. He hit 301 with a 412 on base and a 547 slugging. 31 homers, 94 runs driven in, and Berkman, who was 35 at the time, still played 145 games. The Royals had a plethora of guys play right field, but Alex Rios had the majority of the games. He hit 255 in 105 games, 287 on base percentage, four homers, 32 driven in. Alex Rios was near the end of his career. You had Ben Zobris play a little bit out there. You had Gerard Dyson play a little bit out there. And a couple of other guys in between. Johnny Gomes, I think he played a little bit of right field for the Royals that season. So I got to go with Berkman. Berkman's numbers were absolutely ungodly considering the fact that he was 35 years old at the time that he did it. Now, most people consider Berkman to be an Astro because he was a part of those killer bees. But in his two seasons with the Cardinals, he was darn good in 2011, struggled in 2012. He was injured most of the year. Berkman made his final All-Star team in 2011. He made six of them in his career, and he finished seventh in the MVP voting. So even though it was just for one and change seasons, Lance Berkman had a huge impact on the 2011 Cardinals, and for that season, he is the best right fielder of the two teams. Fly ball into right. Berkman is there to win the inning, and Carpenter has a 1-2-3-6. Broken bat, fly ball, right field. How about Cueto? Royals up two games to nothing. The starting rotation, in my opinion, is a one-sided battle, and that battle goes to the St. Louis Cardinals. Let's look at what the Cards had in 2011. They were led by their ace, Chris Carpenter. 231 innings, a 3.45 ERA, and 11-9 record. Jaime Garcia, 3.56 ERA, 13-7 record with 194 innings of work. Kyle Loesch had a really good year at age 32, 14-8, with a 3.39 ERA over 188 innings. Jake Westbrook, a 4.66 ERA, but still, he had 183 innings, a 12-9 record. And how about this? Edwin Jackson made 12 starts for the Cardinals that season, 5-2 record, in 78 innings of work. The Cardinals also had starts made that year by Lance Lynn, who made two, and Kyle McClellan, who made 17. McClellan was 12-7 and seven with a 4.19 ERA. The Royals' rotation is a little bit more suspect. Edinson Volquez had a really good year, 13-9 record with a 3.55 ERA. Giordano Ventura, who would end up going into the bullpen for the playoffs, a 13-8 record with a 4.08 ERA. Then it gets a little bit dicey. Jeremy Guthrie, 5.95 ERA over 24 starts, 8-8 record at age 36. Danny Duffy, a 7-8 record with a 4.08 ERA. Chris Young had a solid season, but he made 18 starts of the 34 appearances that he had, 11-6 record with a 3.06 ERA. The Royals also got eight starts that year from Chris Medlin, who had a 4.01 ERA. Johnny Cueto was picked up at the trade deadline. He had a 4-7 record with a 4.76 ERA. He didn't exactly help the Royals' World Series cause. And who could forget the legendary Joe Blanton, who was 2-2 with a 3.89 ERA over 41 innings of work. He made four starts that season. Oh, I forgot Jason Vargas, who made nine starts with a 3.98 ERA. I mean, my goodness, the Royals had 
eight different guys that made at least four starts for them that season. It was just not consistent. And for me, I'm looking at this and I'm saying the Cardinals rotation was the same pretty much the whole year. The best pitcher out of all of those was Chris Carpenter, who for what it's worth is one of the best Cardinal pitchers of that mid-2000s to early 2010s. He won the Cy Young in 2005 with a 2.83 ERA and a 21-5 record. He was not nearly the same after 2008, although he did finish second in the Cy Young Award voting in 2009 after he only pitched 15 innings in 2008. But Carpenter in 2011 was good. He wasn't as elite as he once was, but still, he is what, to me, makes the difference in the rotations. I'm going with the Cardinals. There's Herrera. Is it hit hard enough for two? Out at second, and what a scoop by Hosmer. Two out. Jason Mott is on the mound to try to send the Cardinals to the World Series. And there it is. The St. Louis Cardinals are headed back to the World Series. So the bullpen is an absolute landslide, and that landslide is in favor of the Kansas City Royals. The Royals that season, Greg Holland had 32 saves and a 3.83 ERA, but leading up to him was unreal. Kelvin Herrera, 2.71 ERA in 69 innings of work. Wade Davis had an 8-1 record as the setup man. He had 17 saves, so he also closed games. In 69 appearances over 67 and a third innings, he had a .94 ERA. Ryan Madsen, a 2.13 ERA in 68 appearances, 63 and a third innings. Franklin Morales, a 3.18 ERA in 62 and a third innings of work. Jordano Ventura was a part of that bullpen for the playoffs, and that's not to say that the Cardinals didn't have a good bullpen. Jason Mott, a 2.25 ERA in 78 appearances, over 68 innings of work. Fernando Salas was the closer that year. He had 24 saves in 75 innings of work and a 2.28 ERA. But the Cardinals just didn't have a whole lot of spectacular guys. Eduardo Sanchez was solid out of the pen, a 1.8 ERA over 30 innings of work. But there were a lot of different guys that came in for periods of time. I didn't realize that Arthur Rhodes was actually a part of that team. But for me, I look at the Royals' dominance in the playoffs. I look at what their bullpen did to redefine the bullpen roles of the last five years. I've got to go with the Royals' bullpen in this scenario because in the playoffs, you knew if you could get through five innings, once you got to that bullpen, it was lights out. So the manager conversation is one that I also think is pretty lopsided. Tony LaRusso was still the manager of the Cardinals then. It was LaRusso's second World Series. He's known as one of the best managers in baseball. While on the other side, you've got Ned Yost, who got fired before the playoffs in 2008 with the Milwaukee Brewers. His role as the Royals manager resurrected his career, but Tony LaRusso just knew how to push the right buttons. He knew how to get the most out of guys, and the Cardinals always seemed to find the right mix of young guys and veterans that just seemed to gel at the right time. The Royals had built their team up to probably the precipice of its success in 2015. 
It was a team that, quite frankly, couldn't last because a lot of those guys were going to end up leaving at some point because the Royals are a small market franchise that can't afford to keep guys together for the long term. But Kansas City had a little bit of magic that year. They were the best team in the AL for two straight years and won the World Series in 2015. The Cardinals, meanwhile, were always good under Tony La Russa. So I've got to go with La Russa here. As a determination for who would have won this World Series, it's really difficult because each team had their strengths, each team had their weaknesses. The Royals' bullpen was unreal in the 2015 playoffs, but I still think that you have to look at the more talented overall roster, and that was the St. Louis Cardinals. Albert Pujols had a great season. Lance Berkman had a great season. Matt Holliday had a very solid season. The Cardinals had a pretty darn good rotation. And for me, starting pitching still always wins, which is why I've got to go with the Cardinals as the World Series champions here. Although I honestly feel like it's really close because the Royals' bullpen was so good in the playoffs in 2015, But I honestly feel like Albert Pujols, and I forgot when I was making this initial explanation, Yadier Molina, too. I mean, you talk about a core four of guys with Molina, Berkman, Holiday, Pujols, Chris Carpenter as the ace of your staff. I just see the Cardinals as the team that was probably better in a head-to-head scenario against this Kansas City Royals team. I think this series would have gone seven games. That's just me. I think the Royals were an elite team, and you could almost consider this a toss-up, but with the Albert Pujols factor, that's why I'm going with the St. Louis Cardinals. This has been another What If on MLB Morning Coffee. We hope that you have enjoyed this. If you have, go back and listen to our Chicago White Sox versus Chicago Cubs 05 versus 16 What If series. I know you will enjoy that. Please make sure that you subscribe, leave a rating, write a review, all of that good jazz. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. And as always, this has been a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios in San Francisco, California. We will catch you in the AM.